0: Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Nate. And we want to welcome you to Don't Feed the Trolls. A podcast where we discuss
1: trending topics, art, and culture. Through
0: the lens of our experiences touring the world and creating art
1: vocationally. We hope to bring topics out of the minefield of the comments sections. And into the sphere of reasonable dialogue. Thank you for listening.
0: Welcome back to Don't Feed the Trolls podcast. This is part two of our Enneagram series with Beth McCord. In this episode, we talk about a number of different things, including subtypes, Uh, we talk about basic fear, basic desire, and passion, otherwise known as the deadly sin of each type, which I think is really helpful in discovering your type or your number, because I think we're all pretty aware of our our deepest flaws, and as embarrassing as that can be, it can be helpful and point you in the right direction. So, without further ado, here is part two of our Enneagram series with Beth McCord. Enjoy.
1: Enjoy. I feel like I've already uh, narrowed down my parents on the list, <laughs> just <laughs> nice. on this list, because I think besides yourself, I think besides yourself, you probably know your parents or your spouse the best, And but part of me goes, I don't really want to pinpoint who they are, but I have this notion and feeling. I think that's why I brought up the Gilmore Girls thing earlier, because it's kind of like you don't feel bad stereotyping a character, a fictional character, right? you right. know? but when you think about an actual person it's really hard for me as we're going through this just listening to you guys talk um cuz i don't know as much about it as you guys do but um i find myself just going oh that's that's dan or oh that's my wife or oh you know what i mean i'm going oh, i shouldn't do that you know so well
0: and people model attributes of each number at any yeah. given time it's and that's why it's really hard to type people because uh it's it's more about their essence and their motivations and their drives not necessarily right. Uh, you Because know, I can model, Yeah, I can yeah. think of times in my life where I've modeled all the numbers. And I thought I really yeah. identified with four, especially growing up. I mm-hmm. felt like I was a kid who was left alone a lot and really deeply feeling and misunderstood. But when I really go back and revisit myself, I can understand mm. how I dealt with that feeling of, vulnerability and how my persona developed into an eight to protect it. And so sure. I, I have this feeling of a four that I think is inside of me, but my mask, my persona is the thing that I protect it with. And that's, that's my type.
2: Yeah. Well, and actually eights are some of the most tender types on the Enneagram. So they have this really tender heart and they've been hurt or portrayed in some, some way. And so the, what they did is they put an armor on, a very thick, heavy metal armor in front of their heart. And it's like, I refuse to let anyone hurt me again. And so they're protecting this very, very tender heart. But you'll see an eight's uh, tender side, especially around animals and children.
0: Oh my gosh. And it really starts to come. (laughs) Yeah. So when I first was taking the test and it was spitting out the eight and I took the $12 one and I was like, no way, I'm an eight. And because I had this problem because I write, I'm a songwriter and I'm a musician and a lot of my songs are pretty like, desperate vulnerable sad Mm -hmm. i love melancholy and i'm like why am i an eight if this is my if this is my true self coming out and then i i heard somewhere that an eight's power comes from vulnerability i go well that's what i'm exercising in my songs then i'm being vulnerable open and that and when i can like you said when I can attach myself to a child or an animal or something that's vulnerable, I can awaken yep. that part inside of me. Um, so mm-hmm. if I'm angry or tense or stressed out, sometimes it just helps for me to sit down with my kids. Yeah. Like just, and Absolutely. just really engage with them. Cause like, it just softens me. I, I can Absolutely. get in touch with that kind of that inner child. Um, mm-hmm. But let's talk about force. <laughs> I want to know more about <laughs> Nate. Cause I know Nate's yeah. t- I, I've done a lot of like, I've been obsessed with this in the last two months um, you know, to the point of paying a lot of money to go to a workshop and stuff. So I want to I want great. I want Nate to discover more about his number or even if he is a four. We I mean, people type all the time. So
2: absolutely. Absolutely. The biggest thing about types is um, when you're trying to find your type is we're looking at what is the person's core fear core desire, and then some um, any, like you said, not everything's consistent. So it's called the passion or the deadly sin. Those three things are really good plumb lines in finding your type.
0: Right. Hmm. Let's do that. Let's go around and just talk about the deadly okay. sin of each number.
2: Okay. So the type one um, Should I, do you want me also kind of briefly go over the core fear and core desire?
0: Oh yeah, let's do that. Okay. I call them okay, basic so the core- fear and basic desire, but that's fine. That's yeah. fine. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's all the same. Um, so when we think about the core fear and the core desire, where everyone is trying to run away from this core fear, like uh, they hate that this will not happen. They're avoiding it at all costs. And the core desire is something they're desperately trying to obtain. So the core fear of the type one is they fear being wrong, evil, bad, corruptible, inappropriate. So it's very ethic driven. Now, the one's desire to have integrity, to be right, virtuous, to be the good boy or the good girl. Now, mm-hmm. their passion or deadly sin is resentment, and they this is anger that's repressed, mm-hmm. and it comes out in frustration, dissatisfaction, there's too many errors in the world, things need to be put right and reformed, so it's resentment that comes out.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. The
2: type two, their core fear is the fear of being worthless, needy. Dispensable and definitely not being loved. And they desire to be loved and wanted. Now, their passion or deadly sin is pride. Now, you know it too. It's like, what? Like, they're the most caring, loving people. Well, their pride is really how we term it in Enneagram um, speak is the inability or unwillingness to acknowledge one's own suffering. So they deny themselves, like, deny for themselves to look at their own needs. Because if they look at their own needs, then they're not looking at other people's needs. Right. If they're not looking at other people's needs, then how can they help others to get the love, and appreciation, affirmation back? So they have to push aside their own needs so that they can fulfill everyone else. So a two's, a two's pride would be them.
0: a two's pride would sound like, "Look at all these people who need me. I must be so good." Yes, kind of.
2: Or I have no needs. Oh, I'm fine. Yeah. You know. Let me help you. Right. And so it's a different kind of pride than a lot of times that we're going to be thinking in our mind. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the three, their core fear is failing, being incompetent, inefficient, exposed, unsuccessful, a failure. And they desire to be valuable, to achieve, to be successful, to be admired. Um, now, their passion or deadly sin is called deceit. Now, deceit and Enneagram for the type threes is really they are deceiving themselves in thinking that they are only the image they present. So they're only going to be loved for the image they present. They're only going to be admired for the image they present. So they're constantly going around um achieving, in a quote-unquote sense, a resume. And they want to show everyone this resume. Look, I was number one at this, or I was the best at this, or I got promoted here. And they're constantly telling people what they've achieved because if they don't tell you, then how do you know what you should love about them?
0: Yeah, they get their self-worth from their Hmm. projection of their ideal self. And that's how they avoid shame then?
2: Yeah, exactly. Hmm. So they feel you know, that they're incompetent or incapable. So they're striving really hard to be the most successful image Mm -hmm. because they don't believe that people can love them for just being them. They have, they think they have to perform, but the healing message that we want to give threes is no, your love for who you are, right? Not for what you do.
0: So the deceit Mm -hmm. is when they deceive themselves into thinking that they are their projection.
2: Exactly. Exactly. All right. So type Uh fours, the romantic individualist, um, so they fear being inadequate, emotionally cut off, defective and flawed. They they fear being plain and mundane, and definitely they fear have not having significance. They desire to simply be themselves, their authentic self, to present this authentic self to the world, and they desire beauty and aesthetics. Um and their Uh, passion or deadly sin is called envy. And we talked about this earlier where they feel that there's something fundamentally missing in them like that puzzle. And so they're constantly looking and comparing themselves with others. Yet they're thinking that others have a complete whole puzzle or life or circumstance and that they're the ones lacking. So it causes a sense of melancholy and it can get into depression if they allow that to kind of run rampant. Hmm.
0: So Mm -hmm. the envy they're constantly looking in their in their neighbor's bowl and saying they have more than I do. That can lead right. to depression. And it's not
2: true, you know. And so, it's just like the seven, how we want them to savor the present moment. We want to help the fours to realize a lot of times in their mind, they're thinking, I am my feelings. Hmm. And we want them to help them to understand you're not your feelings. Hmm. I know it feels that way. But you're more than that. You're more than your feelings. And so, we want them to help. We want them to be able to look at their feelings kind of from an objective outsider view and see okay how much of this is fantasy because what they feel they think is real and we want them to realize yeah we we know you feel that but let's look at what reality is and kind of have self-talk back at them in a gentle caring way not a shameful way but like you know I my life is great you know I have this and I have this so the more that they can see the great things that are in their life also the more that they're going to see that their puzzle It's pretty fantastic because they have so much to offer. They're created with such a unique perspective that we need in this world. So we actually need it. But the more that they think they're flawed, they're not as ready to come into the world to show us all the beauty that they have. Hmm. Okay. So then type five, the investigative thinker, they fear being ignorant, invaded, annihilated. Uh, They fear obligation, and they desire to be competent and capable. So remember, they struggle with the anxiety that they don't have enough knowledge to go in the world to do. So their um, passion or uh, deadly sin is called avarice. And in the normal world, that would be a lot to do with money. This doesn't have as much to do with that. So avarice for them, they feel that if they are with people and have interactions with the world too much, that they literally are going to be depleted um, into annihilation and, and um, a catastrophic depletion inside themselves. So they, if you think about a five as, you know, battery life in your phone um, let's say you and I have a new phone the battery life is great and we can, talk on the phone for a really long time. Well, a five is like one of those phones where the batteries within a half a day are totally gone. Right. So you're constantly managing your phone and looking at it. Like, do I need to plug it in now? Do I need to plug it in now? Is it going to run out? And that's how a five feels internally. So in order for them to recharge, they have to go and be alone.
0: So to yeah, be in a private every day space. a five wakes up with the same amount of energy. And when it's gone, it's gone. And so gone. avarice kind of translates to mm-hmm. greed in a way, but they, they want to conserve themselves, right? and so they can tend to be withholding of themselves because they realize when it's gone, it's gone.
2: Exactly, There's and they no- kind of know, they try to manage within their mind what that day might hold, and so they're trying, kind of like us, if we have a phone we know we only have so much battery life, we're going to only use it so much that we can carry it throughout the day. Unless we know we're going to be able to go recharge it. So if a five knows, okay, in the middle of the day, I get to go have an hour of privacy mm-hmm. and to recharge, then they might be able to go even longer throughout the day. Now, what would be really hard for a type five, let's say a type five is married to a type two, very social personality, and they've had a hard day at work. A lot of things came up. So they've been depleted. They go home and the two's like, hey, we're going to have a bunch of people over for dinner. It's going to be a great time that might just totally undo a five because they literally are depleted. And to them, it literally feels like they're going to be annihilated or this catastrophic depletion. That That's what it feels like. But for everyone else that's an extrovert or very social, it's like, yeah. what? I don't understand that. But yeah. it's a very real scary feeling for them. And so we want to be very tender-hearted and understand how can we negotiate um, interaction to help the five to be more... Right interactive when we need them to be so letting them have that privacy and time alone
0: so the passion is avarice mm. and yep. the i guess the fixation what is it uh, stinginess like just kind of withholding yeah. Right.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yep. And they compartmentalize uh, their life um, into segments. And so they, like, if you're a friend with a five, they might tell you only so many things. And if I'm a friend with that same person, they might only tell me so many things. So they're very private people. They're very guarded and have certain boundaries. So if you and I got together, we might realize we know the same person, but from a completely different angle. Hmm. Um, and so that's another part of fives with um, withholding.
3: holding. Hmm.
2: Uh, The loyal guardian, so type six, they fear, um, fear itself being without support and guidance, being blamed, targeted and, and physically abandoned. Hmm. And they're desiring security guidance Hmm. and support And their, uh, passion or daily sin is, uh, anxiety. Hmm. So they're constantly scanning and preparing for worst case scenarios. So they're always in this kind of hypervigilant mode, um, to prevent anything from being scary, harmful, destructive. That's the constant state that they're in.
0: So it's a worried wow. state. They worry a lot. A worried state. Yeah. Yep.
2: Yep. it's very hard. I mean, you can imagine. I mean, any of us that's had anxiety to any little degree to to deal with that on a daily basis is a really hard thing. But I will say... Yeah, sixes are the most courageous on the Enneagram. And people will be like, what? Like, I thought they're like fearful. And it's like, yeah, they're fearful. They're having to deal with anxieties 24 seven. Right. And they're getting out in the world and they're doing it you know, they're doing life. They're moving forward. Right. So they have an anxiety and they push forward. So and in all, actuality, they actually
0: are the most courageous. They're overcoming a lot. Yeah. People say, well, well, isn't an eight super courageous? And I'm like, no, it doesn't. I don't have any fear. So I don't have to overcome yeah. anything. <laughs> just go right, do stuff. Exactly. It's like, wow, man, you're so brave. No, I didn't actually have. I just I'm just doing me. This is me at my base yeah. level. I'm not overcoming yeah. anything. If I was really afraid, then I, that would be courageous. <laughs> Exactly.
2: Good point. That's exactly right. Okay, Uh so then type seven, the entertaining optimist. Their core fear is being deprived, trapped in emotional pain, limited. They do not like being restricted, bored, and missing out. And they just desire to be happy, content, and satisfied. But their um, passion or sin is gluttony. And this isn't just food. This is an insatiable desire to fill themselves up with experiences and they avoid emotional pain at all costs. So they're just looking for the next fun thing so that they can steer their mind and and avoid those anxieties into pleasurable experiences. We kind of talked about that with the bucket. So they're just filling themselves up with right. as much joy as they can.
0: Right. And it's so mm-hmm. the deadly sin is gluttony there, right? Yeah, it's yeah. gluttony. Mm-hmm. It's just everything everything. (laughs) and and doesn't necessarily mean just eating. It doesn't mean just appetites. It means like working out or whatever they're doing. (laughs) It's maximum.
2: It's maximum. And they have very quick minds. Mm-hmm. Very quick. Very future-oriented. Anticipating great things. Positive. Yeah, um, The twos, nines, and sixes are the most positive on the Enneagram. And so sevens love future planning and anticipation. And, and they also reframe a lot of things. So if something's negative, they're going to reframe it into something positive.
0: Yeah, I I have a strong seven wing like when I when I first tested I tested it as a seven and then when I tested again I was I edged out in the Enneagram Institute test um the I was by one point an eight and then a seven mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and I wonder how much of that is just understanding my social subtype as an eight uh-huh. because that sort sure. of answers it answers a lot of that sevenness in me but I am yeah super averse to monotony and I need mm-hmm. change. I need change. I need newness. And I feel like I'm drowning or dying or if I don't yes. have something on the horizon that looks good. That yeah. I and if
2: you were more mm. of a nine wing, you wouldn't mind that.
0: Right. The routine yeah, would be so. okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So then type eight for you Matt, is hmm. the protective challenger. And they fear being weak, powerless, harm, controlled, manipulated and they definitely fear being at the mercy of injustice.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, <laughs> and they desire to simply protect themselves. That's the bottom line. Huh. Um, their uh, passion or deadly sin is um, what most Enneagram uh, people say is called um, lust. Mm-hmm. But it's not just a, a uh, it's not a relationship lust we're talking about. We're talking about a constant need for intensity control and um asserting themselves willfully on everything (laughs) yeah
0: like when i heard lust i was like yeah but i'm not a lusty guy like i don't really struggle with that i'm kind of disconnected from sometimes from that aspect of my person like uh, everyone's like dudes Hmm. dudes are always looking at chicks and i'm like i'm not right my wife sees them before i do but um but when they said it was a lust for intensity i was like oh that's it yes i want more Uh. yeah so
2: another word you could use is excess you know or just intensity. So when an eight sees like a chocolate cake, it's not like, Oh, maybe I'll have just a sliver. It's like, I want the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, it's like just intense, you know, and, and it's kind of like when we said the snowplow they're intense on everything they do and they willfully assert themselves. So if you just happen to be in the middle of the road, I'm sorry, but this intense plow, you know, is going to come through and take care of things. Um, hopefully if they're healthy, they're going to see you and put you behind them. Yeah. Um, but the intensity is always there. Sometimes
0: eight- I, I, I can just think of moments in my life where I was in a, a subtext of, of people who were, there was no, no intensity there. People were either protecting their image or mm-hmm. they were seeing all sides and they were kind of hemming and hawing and being pretentious. And how mm-hmm. I just will throw a grenade into that. And then later <laughs> be like, why why did I do that? Like, why did I feel the need to blow up? that conversation because it was like i felt it in me like this isn't sincere this isn't real this is not this is everyone's just bsing here and i need to do something about this i had this desperate Mm -hmm. need and people are like what are you why are you throwing grenades man and i'm like i just this is not right (laughs)
2: yeah well and and that's where that's where fours and eights can be somewhat lookalikes because they both want authenticity and they want truth and realness um and eight i was
1: gonna say that's how i feel i feel mm-hmm. like i have a lot of that in me i i like things to be authentic and especially on social media where people post all this stuff i'm just often frustrated like that's just fake you know that's yeah that's that's not real that's not a, that's not authentic and it uh can drive me crazy until i just
2: and six is authenticity eh. also yeah. yeah
1: yeah well eights and
0: fours have a lot of uh did we go to nine yet Nope. Oh, sorry. Go to we can't nine. Forget,
2: we can't forget our our friends, the nines. Yeah. Um, the peaceful yeah. mediator, and they fear being in conflict, loveless, shut out, um, in a discordant relationship of any kind, definitely fear being overlooked and um, feeling that their presence doesn't matter. So, but conflict, in it's direct conflict at them. If they see conflict um, happening in a room, they're going to be the ones that are, Maybe not step in right away, but they're going to want to mediate, make everyone okay. Try to bring back the harmony. They're so the really, drummer in the band. <laughs> right. Yes. Keep everyone steady.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, now, their passion or deadly sin is either called sloth or indolence. And this isn't a physical slothness, though. Nines are definitely fine chilling out. But this is um, an internal uh, slothfulness an unwillingness to arise to their full potential and to know their own desires, passions, uh, wants and all those things like they just fall asleep to themselves so they can go along to get along, merge with other people's passions. A great way to know a nine is if you were to say, So where do you want to go for dinner? They will not hesitate to say, (laughs) What do you want? Well, I don't know. Where do you want to go? And they literally mean it. Now, the thing is Uh. that nines know what they don't like, but they have a really hard time naming what they like. So a great example is in the movie Runaway Bride, Julia Roberts plays a type nine very well and her favorite eggs are all her fiance's favorite eggs. So she merged and they're all different. But at the end of the movie, you see her trying all these different flavors of eggs, scrambled, omelets, uh, poached, you name it. And she's trying to find, what do I like? Mm-hmm. What's my mm-hmm. voice in this world? And that's a great um, representation of a nine trying to transform and define themselves.
1: Right. Yeah. I, th- I, I can't help but think that, like, uh, you know, uh, for Matt and I, we've both been in bands for well over a decade each. And you think about the relationship of being in a band. I've often said to people in interviews that I can't think of anything else that is complex and uh, as dynamic as starting a band, being with four to five guys, you know, or girls. Um, And 24-7, year after year, all these different personality types, it feels like I I almost want to go back and pick out some of the best bands and say each guy represented one of these numbers and that's why they were so great. I think I've seen,
0: I've seen personality type studies on you two, and how they are like the perfect, the reason they've lasted 30, 40 years or whatever is because they balance each other out so well. Yeah.
2: Uh, And you can, you can see it. You can feel that, right? I I mean, it's not just that they're just trying to make it and like, they're just barely hanging on. Like you can feel the synergy Right in that band for sure.
0: So mm-hmm. I want to talk about eights and fours because we can both be. Uh, we have a lot of similarities, Nate and I, but we are yeah. very behaviorally different. I'm coming it. I'm coming at life through the gut triad. He's coming from right. the heart center. So I. So sometimes we don't see eye to eye, but we can look alike in a lot of ways. We're both very individualistic. Um, you know, I mm-hmm. we don't think the rules apply to us but for very right. different reasons uh i, I break <laughs> the rules because how dare you try to control me i'll show you that i don't need these rules and nate yep. breaks the rules because he believes they were written for everyone else they were he's he's right the exception to it
2: well he's above that
0: he's above <laughs> it yeah he's different um <laughs> he's outside of them so so we we kind of bond over this entrepreneurial spirit of kind of mm-hmm. painting outside the lines um yeah. but for very different reasons And I think sometimes just behaviorally, I can be kind of, you know, blunt. And Nate, Nate said it a a number of different times, like, whoa, man, you just kind of say it. (laughs) Right. You know, you just kind of speak that. And that's, that's harsh, sort of. And I'm like, sorry, dude. (laughs) But this is even before we knew the Enneagram, you know, we've been podcasting together for a year and, um, you know, knew each other years prior. But, um, yeah, I kind of want to talk about that dynamic. What are the overlaps with eights and fours? And I think I probably nailed one of them, but, uh, yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, definitely. Like we talked about the authenticity part is so, um, so great. And I think there'll be a lot of things that you guys will see eye to eye in the sense of being real and bringing people into the podcast realm that will be that, that aren't going to be pretentious, going to say it like it is. Um, I think the biggest thing, um, for the two of you is you know so so for matt you're able to hear blunt stuff at you yeah And in actuality you, you'll invite it for me it's going to be a lot harder to absorb because remember in the four they're fundamentally thinking there's something flawed it's kind of like your wife with the the inner critic that's really loud yeah she's already beaten herself up but from a criticism standpoint yeah. the four has shamed themselves just this to the same degree hmm. so if you add more shame in that's mm-hmm. not helpful because fours unless i've done a lot of work but even you know i always say uh, the things that we struggle in is really the thorn on our side you know like paul's asking for his thorn to be taken away well, God helps us, but it's always going to be there. So, you know, for Nate, he's going to deal with this envy and the shame that happens in the four. So for the four, they are their feelings. So that's reality is our feelings. So if you were to say something blunt and harsh, it's going to take a lot more energy and creativity and to transcend for him to go, wait, Matt was just trying to be real and honest. He wasn't trying to be like plowing me over with the snowplow. Mm -hmm. that's going to take a lot more creativity for him to get to that place. Now, I mean, maybe not so as much now because you guys know each other, but, or, and you're getting to know each other even more, but maybe in the early days, I was like, man, he's really hurting my feelings. (laughs) And that wasn't your intention at all.
0: No.
1: Yeah. It wasn't my intention. Nate. (laughs) Oh, it's all right. I forgive you. (laughs) But Nate, would that be so many things? Is your feelings feel
2: like reality?
1: Yeah. They're, they're overwhelming. Um, I was telling Matt yesterday, like, so sometimes I can't even watch certain types of shows or movies because the feelings are just—I absorb myself so much into everything that, like, yeah, uh, I have to put on something very positive if I'm having a negative day, you know. So, yeah, it's really hard. It's like, yeah, I remember we were on tour a lot, and guys would just pop on like some of the most just. TV shows or movies that I thought were really negative at night and I would just have to like go in the back and get away from it all. I just couldn't immerse myself in that. So yeah, the feelings are dominating and they're really hard to, to see your way out of.
2: i worked in a church with my husband. Um, I was the administrative assistant and my husband was um, pastor of ministries. And so we had the lead pastor who was a type four, wonderful man. Um, but on Mondays, you know, after uh, a Sunday preaching and really exposing, you know, who you are and your unique heart through your sermon, you know, as a four, a lot of his feelings are going to start conjuring up like, you know, what are people, you know, feeling and, and they kind of project feelings and then think that that's reality. So he has to do a lot of mental and heart work Mm -hmm. to stay kind of neutral. Well, then he comes in on Mondays, and he's exhausted, you know, by just trying to stay neutral and present. Well, my husband's greatest strength in strength finders is restorative. Well, in order to restore something, you got to see what the problem is. So he's, he's a six. And so he's looking for all the problems, and he's ready to on Monday, get in there and tackle them. Well, when you bring up all the problems that can feel negative. Now to him, it's just, Hey, let's just get this done. Let's get things fixed. But you can imagine a four is hearing. There's all these problems, mm, you know, things yeah. aren't going well. And so it pulls him down. So when we would laugh, you know, he would come in and say, Hey, can we kind of, maybe hold off on all that stuff till Wednesday when I've recovered <laughs> and let's keep things lighthearted yeah. and positive. And, you know, and it was great cause we knew the Enneagram. So we were able to go, yeah, you know, we get it. You know, this is a hard day for you and give that mercy to him and, um, let him, uh, take a break, <laughs> so right. to speak.
0: Yeah. So we're probably going to split this into two podcasts. Um, and we can do, Nate and I will do an intro for the next one, but I want to probably, we'll cut this up. We'll do a lot of editing and stuff to sure. to make it yep. all flow together. Nate, Nate, the very creative four, does brilliant work with music and, and nice. stuff. And, and so it'll sound really nice. But um, I want to talk about subtypes uh, because I know I kind of discovered my subtype and there's kind of a, uh, there's three instincts, instinctual variants, I think some people call them. Which yep. um, which I think people say all social mammals have. You have self-preservation, you have yep. social, and you have one-to-one, or what they call sometimes sexual. Um, yep. But I think uh, this Beatrice Chestnut uses one-to-one. Um, yeah. And I really like kind of her description of the instincts. But so each number has one of these. You can be a self, I can be a self-preservationist eight, I can be a social eight, or I can be a one to one, eight, and that can those different manifestations I can behave very differently from one to the to the next, right? And you also yes. have a dominant one and maybe a passive mm-hmm. one. So you have one of two. So I'm doing right. a bit of your teaching for you because <laughs> sorry. No, um, that's
2: great. Yeah. But, go for it. But
0: I know what I I know what I am. I know I'm a SOSP, which is a social and then self pres second. Mm-hmm. And I'm not one to one really at all. Uh, but yeah. I want to see if we can um, – I don't know if you want to go around the whole circle and talk <laughs> about – that's a lot. That that might be, a be 17. 27 or, yeah, there's 27 different subtypes. But let's talk about the four because I kind of know what my yeah. subtype is and see if we can um, see if any of, the, uh, any of the subtypes of four can resonate with Nate.
2: Yeah. Well, and also one thing to realize with – okay, so the self-prez pres we're talking about peop- when you're in a self-pres instinct, and we all have all three of them. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the self-preservation preser- instinct; these are people that are really focused in on shelter, food, security. You know, just your self-preservation stance. So it's it's more self-focused. That doesn't mean selfish. It just means self-preservation. Um, mm-hmm. That's more dominant in these people. And then the social There's is more that. of a herd mentality, like we're going to survive as a herd, you know, as a group, like I'm going to gather my people and we're going to, we're going to tackle life together. And then the one to one, they're really looking for that very intimate, intense relationship. Now, The hard part with this is, um, you know, nines want connection, so they all nines will think they're one-to-one immediately, and same with fours. Um, But what you really need to do is to read Beatrice's uh, book, Beatrice Chestnut, The Complete Enneagram, because she does an excellent job describing um, all 27. Um, Now, what's interesting is that, so there's three fours and three eights and so on and so forth. There's one of them is the counter type, meaning they don't quite look like the typical description of that type. Um, and so for the type fours, the self-preservation four is the one that doesn't quite look like all the other fours.
3: Hmm.
2: So um, this four doesn't look um, and they can be kind of mistyped very easily, the counter types. Um, Hmm. they tend to still have the darker emotions and feelings, but they're going to deal with it more privately. They're not going to be so open. Um, and so we kind of see them as long suffering and stoic in the face of pain. Um, and so they're kind of just more private about their pain. They're not so dramatic and moody and temperamental outwardly. So some of those fours can mistype themselves because in most books, you're going to be reading about the other two more, um, more naturally. Right. Um, and so that's the self preservation for is this long suffering. Now the social for they call, or I'm sorry, the self pres was called tenacity. The social is called shame and they definitely feel their shame. They express their shame. They express their suffering outwardly. They're very sensitive. Um, and they're really kind of deep into their melancholy and they actually will call it the sweet melancholy of the soul. Like they enjoy their melancholy. It's a safe place. And actually when you were saying that, Matt, I was like, oh, that does sound like a four. <laughs> um, and um they will seek attention through their suffering moods and kind of lamenting. So that's the social four. Uh-huh. And then the one-to-one four they're um called competition. And these are the ones that look very eight-ish. And so, remember we talked about how they fundamentally feel like there's something missing in them? Well, these fours will actually be very competitive and almost proving that there's not something fundamentally missing. So they're constantly looking to be the best. So it kind of looks almost three-ish also. Looking like they're the best or they have, they have this complete puzzle. They're going to prove it. So they're very competitive and kind of almost an angry four. Um, so you, these three fours are very different, um, but it's the the temperamental, moody types of social and the one-to-one that you're usually speaking about. So, Nate, with those descriptions, which one seems more like you?
1: Hmm. Uh, I don't know. It's hard to say. I would say that um, I think I'm not as – competitive as I once was and I'm definitely I definitely connect to people by sort of like if someone says how are you doing I'll go oh man I've just been going through it you know and so I'll open up so I like to connect with people with the melancholy I think that's part of part of my thing so if like a friend texts me how you doing man I'm just like oh man you know I've been anxious lately and I've been worried about these things and it's I don't I tend to, and then they go, oh, I'm sorry, you know, and uh, that kind of gets the conversation going a little bit. So, yeah. And so I those two, look to pe- you,
0: the social and the one-to-one seem to be more familiar than the self pres, do you think?
1: Yeah. But I don't know. But I think I have a little bit of that, too, where...
2: And like I said, we use them all. If you think about them as like waterfalls that cascade, you know, one down to another, down to another. Some people will use, let's say, let's say you're social first. We're just going to pretend. And then let's say you're one-to-one and then self-prez. Well, they're called stackings and they can can be stacked real close together. And that means people use them quite a bit. Or maybe one of them is really far away. You still use it, but hardly ever. Um, The third one that we usually have is kind of a blind spot for us. Um, but it doesn't mean you don't use it. We use all three. Um, it's just how much do you use it? And different seasons of life are going to be different. If you lose a job, you know, the self-preservation is going to pop up a lot more than it did in the past. Um, if you're not a self pres, and you you know, if if you've lost connection with a group, um, then maybe the social is going to pop up for a season. So, um, but usually you have one that's a little bit more dominating most of the time.
0: Yeah. I, I would say, and we can go through the, the instincts for eight if, if you want, because then we can talk about um, how, yeah. I, how I arrive at that. But yeah, let's just, let's just do that. Let's just do um, self-pres social and one-to-one for eights, and then, uh, okay. and then we'll have a comparison.:
2: <laughs> Yeah, so the type eight um, self-preservation is called satisfaction, and they express their passion of lust or ex- excess. By focusing and attaining the need for power, position, survival, and control of being independent and strong. Um, they are very practical and tough-minded people who seek control over all of their resources and want to maintain independence and dominance in every situation. Um, they can actually kind of seem very 5 because they will be a little bit more private and withheld. And they also are going to try to um, hoard, in a sense, um, their resources, you know, money. Um, you know, they they might be the kind of people that actually will drive an old car because it, and they could be wealthy, but they don't want to buy a new car because they don't want to be at the the need of anyone else. So, they need to hoard up their money and put it away in savings because there might be a day that something comes up and they're not going to depend on anyone else hmm. for help. Hmm. Now, the counter type is the social seven. I mean, I'm sorry, the social eight, which is solidarity. And they have so their passion of lust is in service to protecting others and supporting others. Um, They're looked at more as the helpful eight. So more two ish um, and they're loyal and less aggressive. Um, And, you know, they they actually a little bit more outgoing and mellow and they're less quick at the eight's anger. So that's the solidarity. Mm -hmm. And then the one-to-one eight is called possession. And they use their lust through being charismatic and emotionally intense. And they're actually going to be very uh, forceful, especially in their environment and demand everyone's attention. So they're very dominating and very strong. And they're kind of more of the adult eight. They're very... um, very strong and passionate and they can actually be kind of very social, um, antisocial and rebellious.
3: Hmm.
0: Hmm. Yeah. It's tough. That's, that's almost a different, slightly different look at it, but I definitely did not identify with the self prez of like hoarding, um, things to myself. I consider myself pretty, and maybe it's just the way that I was raised or whatever, but I'm not, I'm not, um, yeah,
1: you don't you don't strike me as having that either because I do I do have that. Uh, you'll just buy. You'll just be like, oh, we need this thing for the podcast. Bought, and yeah. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's shop around. Let's figure it out. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> self preserve here a little bit. Yeah.
2: Do you feel like you're more um, kind of the helpful eight? more?
0: I would, I see myself as very generous. Uh, I, I don't know what, how other people see myself, but I don't care about money. And if I have money and someone needs it, I'll give it to them. I don't need to. Yeah. like. I kind of walk by faith, not by sight. That's kind of how I live. And so if other people are, I find it, if other people are vulnerable enough to ask for my help, that's such a thing that I see as such a hard thing to do for myself, that I will respond with anything I can do to help them.
2: So you'll you'll kind of viscerally step in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'll be like, yes, I'm there. Whatever I have is yours. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's definitely the social eight, which, you know, probably is one reason why you didn't land on eight to begin with, because it's the counter type. Yeah. So it may have not been as obvious um, until you started digging down.
0: Yeah. And I think I've tapped into Mm. a lot of like, it's funny how it messes you up when you do the Enneagram. Because now that I read <laughs> all these things about me, I see all the things in me. Even as a social right. aide, I see the self-press right. and I can see the controlling nature and I and I'm almost cycling through and exercising these things that have been within me like more in my yeah. daily life. Even things that aren't healthy, but I'm just like I need to be in touch with myself. So like if like Christy was like, You were just way angrier than you've ever been and I'm like she's like, This is the Enneagram <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like no but like I need to understand what this feeling is that I'm feeling and really go into it and and that's part of me like it kind of messed me up for a little bit and I think I'm getting through that uh, do you have people who go through the Enneagram training and kind of figure out their numbers and go deep into it and feel like it kind of messes them up for a little bit like oh sure
2: yeah oh absolutely because you're really being exposed to who you really are and we've masked even from ourselves. I mean, I know threes deceive themselves, but we all do it. It's just maybe they've done it a lot longer. Um, and so, to really know ourselves, and that's what's beautiful about the enneagram, and extremely hard is it is it's a non judgmental friend who tells it like it is. I mean, you're you know, the enneagram is just going to say where you really struggle or where you are false or pretentious or all those things, and. That can be really hard. Now, for me as an Enneagram coach, my goal is to come alongside and to be encouraging and affirming, not in the sense of of just flattery and all that stuff. It's for me to help expose what needs to be exposed, but also to cheer them in what they really are. Like your authentic redeemed self is really this. This is where we're going, and this is how I can help you to get there.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But you have to first see who you really are when you're not doing well, so we can stay away from that. Hmm. But you have to have people alongside you that encourage you towards your best self because it's way, so how I describe it is, think about being in a river and there's a pretty good current. To move up the current, to walk upstream is extremely difficult. But think of being a healthy version of yourself going upstream, like up there is going to be your healthier self. That takes a lot of energy, a lot of focus and a lot of stamina. What's easier is just to sit down and let the stream bring you downward, right? right? Well, that would be an unhealthy place. That's where your personality um, takes a hold of you. It's very, you're very constricted in your personality, but that's easy, right? We just kind of just let it happen. Mm -hmm. Well, but that doesn't give us any joy or satisfaction. If anything, that's just self-sabotage. Right. So the work we have to do is we have to walk up this very difficult stream in order to have to experience our redeemed self. So in order to do that, we really need to have people around us that understand what we're going through can give us the compassion and the mercy and to cheer us on because each type, when we're doing really well, we need people that see it and say, wow, that was really awesome. I can't believe you just did that. You know, and we know that was hard, but for someone else to, you know, you know, bring validity to that is just really encouraging. Like, like for you, Matt, you know, it just might be like, Oh, you were really tender and vulnerable in that moment. You know? (laughs) Yeah, I was, you know, whereas for Nate being vulnerable is second major, you know? Um, Mm. And so we want to cheer each other on where it's hard for them. And, but what's really good for them.
0: What would you say is like a motivation for a four to, to get to their high side? What's the path to health for fours?
2: Yeah, so uh, a really good path, there's there's kind of two paths. And, um, so for the four, the lines that are connected to four go to one and two. And typically we talk about going to two is under stress, which is true. We go to the average to the unhealthy parts of, of two if you're a four.
0: So fours, um, in, fours in unhealth stay within their actual center. They stay within their triad there.
2: Um, yeah, wow. right. Well, yes. Yeah, And so they're moving to two. So what fours will do is they have this interesting relationship dynamic where they they have these wonderful ideals of the perfect friend or mate or co, you know, relationship in a work environment. But then they find this person is like, oh, this is like the greatest person. And then they get a little closer and a little closer. And then all of a sudden they see the person's, you know, warts and all. And it's then they kind of push back, you know, and like push the person away. But then they realize to push the person away, maybe a little too far. And so they use their two, the not so healthy parts and kind of cling back to them and be a little bit more possessive and needy. And so they're trying to really bring that person back in. So the healthier side for the four is to move to the high side of one, where they're going to be more principled, um, grounded, their emotions will be more even keel and not so all over the place. So it's called equanimity, emotional balance. And that's really where, so it's kind of like the four taking their feelings and putting it outside of themselves and examining their feelings. Like, okay, is this real? Cause to them, it feels like reality. Are these really true? Or is this just my feelings running away I mean, with it? It sounds
0: like so many things to me. It's, it sounds like cognitive behavioral therapy, which is like practice <laughs> to help you understand, do self-talk and understand that you are not your feelings. Uh, and yeah. then also this whole thing about, Either, either wading upstream against the current or just letting the current take you. It feels like the hard task of just self awareness, yes. which um, and it's hard. I just think today yeah. in society, especially, we are so unself aware. We do not know what our motivations are. We do not know how our fear is dictating the way that we shop or the way that we vote or anything like that. We just aren't aware of it. And uh, I feel like the Enneagram is a tool that's come along just at the perfect time to say, Mm -hmm. Hey, let's go within ourselves and understand ourselves um, and be aware and do the hard work of that inner journey to say, um, I need to, I need to go to my high side. I need to fight against the current and walk upstream and get to a destination that's a little better than this because this is not exactly. working.
2: And I'll tell you, every type when you're starting to move upstream towards whatever number it is that you know brings you a little bit closer to who you are and your redeemed self, it's not like, oh, this is just wonderful. I love this. This is so much fun. Sure. I mean, it's just sure. hard, hard work. But when you get there, you'll experience something you've never thought you'd ever experience and it will bring you more like kind of joy or satisfaction or depth or reality that you could never imagine. So for example, a type nine, they avoid conflict at all costs because they don't want conflict. But when, and so they remember, they kind of, um, they hide themselves, they forget themselves. Mm -hmm. But when they show up and say, Hey, this is who I am. This is my voice. This is my talents. Yeah. Well, guess what? People are going to push against that. But when they're true to themselves and they show up, they can face that kind of conflict. I mean, like Matt, for you, that wouldn't be conflict, but to mm. them, that's conflict when someone pushes against. Yeah. But they will feel alive because they're being themselves. So they can be in conflict and still be alive. And it's so like they're like, they're I just, want,
1: I want this for dinner tonight, and that's what they're yeah, and do. it kind of
2: blows you their know. mind. Like you mean I can be in the midst of what <laughs> I thought was the most worst thing ever and have peace because I'm being me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just like, it's just glorious and beautiful. So the very thing we're afraid of and we're fearing can actually be the path of growth. So Matt, for you fearing being weak and vulnerable, mm-hmm. well, vulnerability, as we all heard from Brene Brown is strength.
0: Right. Yeah.
2: And so, but for Nate, it's like, wait, what? Well, you that's know.
0: the upside down. That's the, that's the gospel of Jesus, right? Yep. The last Shelby first, you know, that whole thing. Yep. So that's like the, that's the turning it on. It's uh, turning the tables a little bit. Um, Yeah, but that's, that's exactly right. Like when I am in touch with my vulnerable side, that's when people listen to me the most. And when I'm that, when I'm going to my low side of like, either aloof or disconnected. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not powerful at all. um, Mm -hmm. Or, or or cold or not in touch with my, my heart. I, I'm not powerful at all. There's no power in that. I'm just people I can, I can watch people. And it happens on this podcast often. When I'm just rambling, right. I can watch them check out.
3: <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah. I'm aware.
0: I'm socially... I'm a socialite. I'm socially aware of them yes. checking out because exactly. I'm rambling or whatever. But that's, that's what the two is, right? When I go to my right? high side, mm-hmm. I'm more aware of other people. And that's well, such that's funny, a, Matt, I can because know all this stuff. I can know all this stuff. Doing it is another yep. thing completely. Yes.
1: And, and I would say that... I would say that there's a couple of times lately where Matt, you'll just be all emotional and you'll speak to that side of me. And I go, whoa, Matt, where'd you get that from? You know, you've been doing some Enneagram studying. <laughs> right. Yes. Right. Trying. Emotional support. It's like, man, and someone comes alongside me and says, man, you're doing great. I really love that. Um, it just like makes the makes my day. Um, yeah,
2: absolutely. Well, and more someone it, when can I kind of it,
1: predict your feelings and then speak to them. That's the yeah. biggest thing. You know, you're feeling a certain way. Sometimes I almost want my wife to read my mind and just come to me and say, Everything's going to be all right. I know how you're feeling right now. I can just see it in your eyes, you know?
0: Yeah, fours want to come, want to be discovered,
2: yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Rescued. Mm-hmm. They
0: want someone to, someone to come yeah. find them as opposed to having to assert themselves to be understood. Yeah.
2: Well, and then the great thing about the gospel and the reason why I coach the way I coach is I always, the whole point for me to use the Enneagram as a pastor's wife is so that I can speak the gospel in each type's dialect. Because each type, the gospel itself doesn't change, but each type only can hear it kind of from a certain point of view. So each type has a message that their heart longs to hear. And it's amazing when you when you hear them. It, it for some people it just brings tears to their eyes immediately. But the coolest thing about it is that the gospel answers all of the messages that our heart longs to hear. And so as a enneagram coach mm-hmm. that does it through the lens of the gospel, my whole point is to make sure and first and foremost that yeah your personality has great astri- attributes and um, negative ones, and there's all these core lies. But the gospel is what rings true, and that's what's going to redeem you. Into being your true, authentic mm-hmm. self that God has, you know, made you to be. So that's the the main thing.
0: Yeah, I just mm-hmm. did. A, I just listened to a talk uh, last last weekend by Mark Scandrett, who is an Enneagram four, um, but I would say very redeemed. I mean, he's out there throwing himself out there. But he did this talk on the Beatitudes, which is like the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus mm-hmm. gave. Um, and there, and there was, there was nine Beatitudes, Mm. right? This ninefold path of Jesus. And I came up after the talk and I was like, how much of that is Enneagram influenced? Right. (laughs) And he's like, ah, I don't always say it, but it's true. He's like, I, I, he's like, I tend to believe each of the, so he went through each one, each of the ninefold path and how each one he would, he would almost do, um, NLP, neuro-linguistic programming where he he had a sign for each one, so we, our hands. He would make everyone make a hand gesture mm-hmm. for um, "Blessed are the meek" or whatever, and and then there would be like a a response of like, "God give grant me the strength to surrender" or something like that. I don't know, but it was something like that. But it was, and I was like, oh man, how much of that is enneagram related? Because he told me afterwards, he was like, yeah, I think every number on the enneagram. Has like a specific core uh, yeah. beatitude that they need to embrace in order to find them tr- their yeah. true selves.
2: Well, do you want me to read you the uh, the messages our heart longs to hear?
0: Yeah, I would. Okay, love well, it'll be them.
2: interesting. Okay, so um, so again, this is as little children, we were longing for this message and some, some books will call this the lost childhood message. So even to this day though, we're still longing to hear this message, but the greatest thing is the gospel answers it for us. Um, So the type one, the moral perfectionist, the message they long to hear is that you are good. The type two, the supportive advisor, the message they long to hear is you are wanted for just being you. You don't need to help in order to earn it. The type three, the successful achiever, the message they long to hear is that you are loved and valued for being yourself. You don't need to perform to earn my love. The type four, the romantic individualist, they long to hear you are seen for who you are. You are special and unique. Type five, the investigative thinker, they long to hear your needs are not a problem. Type six, the loyal guardian, they long to hear you are safe. Type seven, they long to hear you will be taken care of. The type eight, the protective challenger, they long to hear you will not be betrayed. And the type nine, the message they long to hear is that your presence matters. Now, when I heard mine, I wept. And I have a special picture of a lamb and the lap of his owner, of his shepherd, and he's just all cuddled up. And that message, what I realized was the message of the good shepherd is this message to us. So like for Matt, Christ is saying, you will no longer be betrayed. He's got your back. And he does. And so, Nate, for you, God sees you for who you really are, your unique, authentic self. And there's nothing flawed, nothing wrong. He has answered all of that and made you complete and whole in Christ. And, you know, it's just, it's so powerful because we all really long for this and we're starving for it, but it's the gospel that answers it. And that's why I say we have to speak the gospel in each type's dialect because what Matt needs to hear is different than what Nate needs to hear, which is different than what I need to hear. But the gospel still answers it and it's just beautiful.
0: Right, and and you know, wow. not to get too biblical on on our podcast, but this is related. Uh, just seeing how Jesus responds in his in the Gospels to different people of the same ilk <laughs> is pretty yeah. interesting. Like if you see Zacchaeus, the tax collector, comes to him and has a very drastically different response right? to Jesus, or or even different requests from Jesus as Matthew, the tax yep. collector. And it just goes to show there isn't a broad stroke path. Everyone is, has a different path and everybody uses, needs different language and they have different motivations. And the Enneagram really helps, um, I guess Mm -hmm. those things that, so that you can have empathy. I can have empathy for people who are different uh, from me, especially as an eight, because I I can tend to chuck people who are different from me. It's like, what they're, they're afraid what weak people throw them away. Um, and so it's given me empathy to understand that, like, but not yeah, only I'm that. Not the right so way so to be. Have you
2: guys figured out what type I
0: am? Uh, well, so it's been really hard because you're talking about all the types, and now I have to I have to go on see if I asked you three yeah. questions, I could get to it, but it would be it would it, the questions would be so transparent to yes. you that there would be no magic in that. I would know, when we first started talking, I thought maybe a nine but then maybe I'm leaning more towards a two.
2: That's actually good. I am a nine with an eight wing.
0: Okay. Okay. With an eight wing. Yes.
2: And I'm a social.
0: Wow. A social
2: nine, which is the counter type. Yeah. Good job, Matt. Yeah.
0: Well, I kind of backed myself up. I should have just stopped at nine, but I I, I started thinking about it. I do use a lot of two.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. But what I would say is, you know, for me as a nine, you know, fearing conflict, eights, when I first started reading the Enneagram, you know, it scared me to death. Well, some of my closest friends now are eights because I've seen behind the veil how tender and compassionate and, you know, there are four people. That's why they're called the protective challenger. They're protecting. Now, it can come across strong, but it's really a beautiful, um, a beautiful thing. Um, so that being said, yeah, sorry. Someone's at the door. <laughs> <Someone's laughs> I'm at a friend's house.
0: <laughs> Amazon delivery. Yeah,
3: exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's great. So, okay, so I, I guess I don't know why I guessed it. I felt like you, you were, you had a level of equanimity mm. that comes from. I do see
2: all sides, and that's the funny thing. The yeah. type nine, we relate to all types, but our own, and that's kind of when we're talking about Princess Bride, her trying the eggs. It's uh. like, okay. I- I, c- huh. I can eat all the other eggs, but what do I like? And so by doing Enneagram coaching work and um, uh, developing my own business around it, it's me saying, this is who I am. This is what I'm passionate about. Seeing other people flourish in who they really are is me. And so it's just a beautiful thing to see how God has brought that out in me. And what usually happens for a type nine is because we've forgotten ourselves and we've fallen asleep, so the self-forgetting, we have to tap into that anger that we talked about in that triad. We have to, and it's not hmm. an anger like a rage or it's a passion of who am I and waking up and voicing ourselves and saying, I am here. Like, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm good at. Um, I'm important. So like the message we want to hear is your presence matters. And so when I start to hmm. recognize that my presence matters, then it's like, watch out people, it, you know, the nine, the nine nine is coming because nines we really love elephants um and nines struggle with inertia so if we're if we're at rest we're not doing anything but once we get going watch out so it's really fun um
0: funny i always i always thought my power animal was a lion but i guess it's more tiger
2: uh, (laughs) yeah yeah exactly
0: (laughs) so we should probably wrap this up uh pretty soon here but i wanted to um just ask you for our listeners if people are just discovering the enneagram um i know there's a lot of online tests there's a lot of places they could go to learn things and maybe some of them are better than others but what would be your um, your advice as to if someone wanted to go on this journey of self-awareness and um, understanding who they are and who other people are, what's the best path yeah, for them? Excellent. Well,
2: I would say there's there are assessments. It would be best to go through the assessment with some kind of Enneagram coach who's an expert because, like we've even described here, there's so many layers that you might think you're one type. Mm-hmm. Remember we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, this is an internal GPS. We need to know your current location to help you To be on the path of your best destination. So for me as an Enneagram Mm -hmm. coach, I have a discover, explore, become series. And the discover is obviously discovering the person's Enneagram type. So I take them through an assessment, but I also do an hour long typing interview because I'm going to be asking very tailored questions to them based off of their assessment so that we make sure we find their exact type. Um, If that's something that people, you know, don't want to, you know, do or go through, I would say reading some of the really good books out there. Um, the Road Back to You by Ian Crone and Suzanne Stabile is a great narrative of the Enneagram. And he really captures each type and who they really are in their essence. And so you might really find your type in there, but definitely don't rely on the assessments alone. They're only maybe 75% accurate because it has to do with do you know yourself this is a internal mm-hmm. self-assessment. And if you're not really aware, type nines especially, they might test out as every other number but their own.
0: Right. They might test out as their spouse or whoever they've predominantly merged right. with. So that's yeah. why it's
2: really good mm-hmm. to um, be with an Enneagram expert who, because each type uses a certain lexicon. They talk a certain way. And so for that Enneagram expert to really hear them out to make sure that they're on the right path. The second thing I do is I take them through um, an overview of the Enneagram and by seeing how the Enneagram works, but also each of the types, then they can, oh, yeah, that's me. I I really see that. And we have discussion through it. So if they're still kind of stuck, we go through that and it really starts to open their eyes to all the nine types for sure.
0: So this isn't just a can't take a test online and see what I am and then read about me like a horoscope, (laughs) uh the enneagram is a is a map that should be used not just to study the yes. map like you don't want to be a cartographer right. you want to be a yes. journeyer you want to go through the journey in 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 the third yep. dimension and actually travel and that's a difficult thing to get on but like if you're at a point in your life and, that, and this is one thing uh Chris Hewitt said when I was at the workshop was uh the Enneagram will find you yep. when you're ready absolutely like And sometimes people, they come across it and 10 years go by and they come back to it and they finally embrace and, and, and use it as the journey tool that it's meant to be used as. And so, you know, if this sounds like, oh, that's fun or whatever, I'll just (laughs) read my type and like, you might not get anything out of it and, and, but that's fine, but maybe you don't need to right right now and that's okay. It's not for like, I can be pretty prescriptive. Mm -hmm just being my type, like everyone should do this. And maybe even selfishly, like everyone should understand that I'm not being mean. I'm being (laughs) me, you know, like give me some grace here. I'm not trying to be a jerk, you know, like understand me. Can you learn the Enneagram so you can give me grace? (laughs) Because that'd be nice. But like, that's not, that's not the point. The point is to, to, if you're at a spot in your life where you're like, I, something's not working. I feel like I'm just floating downstream I want to be healthier. I want to be better, better dad, better spouse, better, you know, yeah, anybody. And you do a lot of business work, right?
2: I mean, it's been great. I mean, just think about, for instance, uh, I've done stuff with real estate agents. Well, not only to help them to understand their customers and what they might want, because of course, any of the types might want a different kind of home or different things. So not only how to market to your customers, but also the agents have to work with other agents in negotiation. So if you're a type two and you're negotiating with an eight, well, what are some strategies that you can use in targeting, you know, that other agent so that your clients get the best deal? Right. Because an eight's gonna be pretty powerful, right? So you're gonna wanna know how right. to handle that kind of situation.
0: Challenge. Yeah. Exactly. Stand Challenge up, be strong. Eight. Come back mm-hmm. Yeah. Come back hard and the eight'll the eight'll go right calm right down and be like, ooh. Here's someone yes, I can trust.
2: Exactly. exactly. <laughs> but all yeah, the other types yeah. are probably going to feel that unless they understand it. And so that's that's one right. way you can really use it in the business. But also, you know, if you're a manager and you're working with different numbers underneath you, what's going to yeah. motivate each number to be the best employee is going to be very different. Yeah. And so it's really wow. good to know how to develop your staff and to just have, you know, right. empathy and understanding and kind of uh, lightheartedness sure. instead of it always...
0: Like it's not going to, yeah, it's not going to go well if you shame a four. It's not going to go well if you criticize right. a one. Those aren't the things they need to hear to be their their, their best exactly. selves. So,
2: so bringing, you know, <laughs> someone like myself in to do a training and to help each of the types know which one they are, and then to get them on a developmental path for their business and personally, you're going to see, you know, it's, I just say it's um, accelerated growth path is the Enneagram. It's almost like growth on steroids. Mm.
0: <laughs> i like anything on steroids i'll take it <laughs> well thank you so much beth this has been yeah uh, thank you super hey, awesome um yeah i uh so how can people yeah. find you you're at uh, your your enneagram is there any other place well, online
2: uh, on twitter i'm enneagram underscore coach and also instagram and instagram is where i've got a lot of followers. We have some really fun uh, posts. Um, each day is a different post for each type or a different type. And so you can uh, check me out there. But also coming up in the next month or two, we're going to have your EnneagramUniversity.com. And this is where we're going to have online courses starting with Enneagram 101. And then we're going to move all the way through, you know, we're going to do subtypes, Enneagram structure, all the way to people who are wanting to become an Enneagram coach. We'll do trainings for them too. We'll get into marriages, workplace. So that's all coming down the road.
0: That that's awesome. That's great. I I'm like I told Christy the other day, my wife, I, I maybe I want to become an enneagram.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Okay>. you, <laughs> like
0: I'm learning so much yeah, about it. You might it. as well. I mean,
2: that's so mine's a twelve <laughs> a twelve week enneagram uh, course, ninety minute uh, video sessions with 188 pages um, of
3: material. Wow.
2: So it's it's intense, but it's really really good and thorough. And so. You know, for me, that's the passion is to get other people mm-hmm. out there that can speak into the lives of others with encouragement and hope so that everyone can live their best life.
1: Yeah. 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 That's great. So, yes. Yeah. So, so needed.
2: right now, you're EnneagramCoach.com uh, and hopefully in a month or two, you're com.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Beth thank McCord. You. We appreciate yeah, you joining you so us and spending a couple hours explaining the Enneagram. Absolutely. That about wraps it up for us. Uh, thanks for listening to Don't Feed the Trolls. Tell your friends about our podcast if you haven't yet. If you're interested in any of this enneagram stuff, you can check out Beth McCord online, your enneagramcoach.com, and then the the university coming soon. Uh, if you have any questions about anything, we can refer you. Uh, if you email us at don't email the trolls at gmail.com or through our contact form at trollspodcast.com. Uh, what else, Nate? Twitter at Trollspod. Yeah instagram a trolls podcast i mean we're just all over the internet just doing yeah. our thing uh, if you have any questions concerns comments um we'd we'd be happy to forward you information on the enneagram but this is obviously not an entire exhaustive thing this is just scraping the surface i did eight hours in a day and i barely understood you know just the surface level of this sure. thing so it's such a, a deep tool and uh yeah we just want to encourage you guys to check it out if you're interested. Um, until next time, thanks for listening.